All right, people, it's ultimate SmackDown time. We all know it. We all got HBO Max. Even if we weren't able to make it to a theater, everyone's talking about it. Snyder fans are not going to stop this one, even if they tried. It's Godzilla versus Kong time. We've been waiting for this ever since they announced it five years ago, and we are ready to go. Chris, you ready to do this? Yeah, man, the judges have almost tallied their scores. Uh, I'd say let's get into this one and find out who's the winner. I don't know any wrestling terms or metaphors, so I'm just going to say yes to that. Let's go. Godzilla versus Kong. seriously until I actually learn all the intricacies that go into it, you know? And I feel like just understanding that alone has given me such a greater respect for these types of movies, especially when they can pull them off, you know? I mean, you've watched more wrestling than me, so I mean, you, you let me know if I'm onto something here. Yeah, man, the storytelling's... It's like soap opera for men, and... <laughs> Men in tights. That's a great description. That's the so, greatest description I think I've yeah. ever heard. And and hey, man, so are the CW shows. Let's be honest. There you go. There you go. So, although, yeah. although 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 I, I think we can safely say that those are all inclusive soap operas. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like and and dude, it's just like th this. I don't know this monster verse, this franchise, whatever you want to call it at yeah. this point. Man, it's 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 a, it's a tough cookie to like you know. It's, it's a tough one to uh, it's look into something. It. Yeah, it's, to it's, about it. I don't know where to we, start. We definitely honestly. do have a lot to talk about as far as that goes because surprisingly enough, for a movie that seems really obvious, just given the title itself, it could not be more obvious if it tried. Quite literally, Godzilla versus Kong. They didn't even go with King Kong. They just went with Kong, like Godzilla versus Kong. Like this could not be more obvious and straightforward as it tried. But of course, because we're nitpicky movie nerds and we literally <laughs> love this a little bit way too much, of course we're gonna apply it the same amount of discipline that we do to, add to the highest of high arts to this freaking monstrosity blockbuster. Of course, I'm Dom the Movie Nerd. That's Chris the TV Nerd. Well, we hope you're happy to be joining us on a very special episode of the Talking TV podcast. Of course, for our audio listeners, uh, this episode will be available next Wednesday when we upload this to the uh, to the audio platforms, Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys choose to listen to it. So, Chris, without further ado, well, I mean, I guess we should probably start with the whole thing of, just, you know, spoiler free. You know, this is still this is still a little bit of a unique situation where we're going live on the day that the movie actually drops on HBO yeah. Max. So I guess, I mean, totally. you've had... It's new for us. Yeah, it is a little bit new. You know, like, I've got my relationship with this series, but I always make my thoughts way too obvious. So I kind of wanted to know your thoughts, especially given your very specific history with this franchise as a whole. What are your thoughts on Godzilla vs. Kong? Yeah, man, um... I think that this was actually just like a really fun movie. Like, it's not groundbreaking. It's not the greatest cinematic achievement you've ever seen. Although I do think the CGI was stunning. I mean, I really think the CGI yes. in these films since Godzilla 2014 has been top notch. It really makes me just wonder sometimes what some of these other studios with the same resources do wrong. Like, they, they really know how to capture the... The old school essence that I think made these characters so I iconic throughout history with this modern flair that only like modern technology can add of like tension and, you know, honestly, they're pretty traumatizing too. Like I, I would hate to be laying on the ground in a city and have Godzilla just grill me in the eye. That sounds terrible. But yeah, so spoiler free thought, man, I, I think with, with, with the misstep of, you know, King of the Monsters aside, this is a really cool little tiny universe we have here. And it's so funny to call it tiny because we're talking about quite literally the largest creatures in any cinematic universe. But I just mean in scope and vision by the creators. And obviously this isn't, you know, there's not 33 superheroes that are going to get their own solo film. I mean, we could go somewhere from here, sure. But it's, you know, a lot of the hand has been already dealt and, and a lot of the cards have already been flipped over. And so we'll see if they choose to continue. But what they've done, man, is... I'm impressed with this universe, dude. I really am. Because yeah. I think 
you know, I talk a lot about action storytelling lately, mostly because we cover a lot of action films. And somehow they do hit some of the tropes that annoy me, yet they don't annoy me. And it's just their execution is different. But yeah, so we'll, we'll keep going spoiler free here. But that's my like first initial thought on this. But what about you? Yeah, it's interesting because obviously, again, I knew that I was going to have to watch this movie in between kind of my breaks because I just have no time anymore. And it's just the thing that I hate about being an adult is that, oh, great, I actually have to make time in order to make sure that I have to watch the stuff that I enjoy so that I can continue to potentially do this as a career. So that's a little bit depressing in and of itself. But as far as my thoughts on the movie itself, I've had a very interesting relationship with this franchise throughout like its very strange history in the past, like, roughly like seven years now since it's been since because God's yeah Godzilla 2014 2014 seven years ago huh math again we're movie nerds not math nerds but um I well immediately kind of upon watching this movie I think the difference between this and the last movie is that I understood exactly what I was getting into this movie as opposed to the last movie was coming off of two movies that were kind of almost reacting to the daily kind of kind of like status quo of blockbuster filmmaking at in real time kind of where you have the first Godzilla which is kind of this very serious kind of almost weird throwback to the original 1954 Gojira while at the same time kind of mixing in modern principles and then you get Kong which is this prequel that also kind of doubles as a Vietnam allegory and I'm like but these are monster fight movies like I, I like the human drama the human drama is cool but like these are monster fight movies you know I want to fight see the monster fights and obviously the biggest criticism with that first Godzilla movie was the fact that again it's called Godzilla but Godzilla's only got 11 minutes of screen time more on that later but with then Godzilla King of the Monsters comes out and I'm like okay they're promising that we're gonna get the monster fights that we do but the movie sucks which is the problem and I'm like yeah Monster fights are only as good if the movie that I'm watching is actually entertaining and I think with this movie without spoiling anything the thing that they got right is just what you said, having a fun movie, you know? The characters, they're jumping from one place to another. The movie's moving by at breakneck pace, you know? It doesn't have a million different subplot characters. It doesn't have a million different subplots. It's pretty much got its two prime storylines that and that you know is building towards the inevitable third act fight, you know? Again, it's not a spoiler. It's quite literally in the title. Godzilla, you, you, you're not going into this to watch high art. You're going into this to watch Godzilla fight King Kong. And just as far as that goes, the movie delivered. The fights were awesome. The visuals are fucking cool. The CGI light show, the sound effect, the monster effects were awesome. I've always been a big fan of how these movies are able to, again, take these gigantic, larger-than-life creatures and still imbue them with, like, these base animal properties. Because I think, again, my favorite thing that these movies have done is is the idea of establishing how these titans are, uh, in a sense, a part of nature and how we kind of have to coexist alongside them, which, again, is, I think, a really underrated aspect of these movies that is not being talked about. I totally agree. The environmental-friendly aspect, sort of the respecting nature, you know, nature is the ultimate overlord, and, you know, what you do to the earth will uh, it has a way, of course, correcting itself. You know, all these things that we kind of hear in, like, the media and stuff as of recent years, they really do a good job of sort of, you know, leading that in there because... When, when, you know, people beat it into your brains over and over again, you kind of need a visual example of, like, how much damage you're doing and, and how, you know, hey, maybe that's not the way our world will course correct, but it will course correct, right? And I think it's really these messages come across in these sort of, like, you know, beat them up, smash them up monster films because the people drama is so strong and actually is so engaging. I mean, they did the one smart thing in this film where they limited a specific character who we won't quite say his name yet in the spoiler free, but someone's father, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, had a little less screen time who I think was kind of a major bummer in King of the Monsters. But other than that, sort of combining these two worlds, bringing the best of all the people from each world into this film and having their arcs be meaningful and having their arcs be so tied with the monsters and in like not just a stupid way of helping them get from point A to point B, but enriching the monster's journey and and in the same time the journey of the monster enriches the people i think it's really clever i mean these aren't like the most intense difficult scripts to write i get that but i like i like i was sort of talking about with ray and the last dragon when we covered that one and sort of the hero's journey of it all you know not saying this is quite the hero's journey format but yes it's a drag and drop template yes it's been used over and over again throughout time but it takes someone with tact and with talent to sort of do something so simple and so basic in a way that's so engaging. And so I think that's why, for the most part, this movie really worked, you know, because, yeah, it's not reinventing the wheel, but it's doing it really well. And it's been a while since, at least in my opinion, we've seen a film of this ilk sort of succeed and work on the level that this movie does. Yeah. So I feel like 
at the risk of kind of uh, overstating our welcome. I feel like that's probably the most that we could do as far as no spoilers. So unfortunately, for all the people who are watching this and don't want to get spoiled on it, tune out. Go out. Again, even if you can't go out and see it in the theater, I understand why you would want to. It's on HBO Max. So once again, I reiterate, as sucky as it would be to not be able to watch this in the theater, you can still go watch it. So my advice is that if you don't want to be spoiled, go out, watch the movie, and then come back and watch the later clips as we're about to further break down this movie. And once again, as always, be sure to leave your thoughts in the comments below and click the subscribe button if you haven't already. So, without further ado, Chris, let's break down the MonsterVerse because it's really interesting. We've talked a lot in the last couple of years, obviously, again, because we just are now incapable of having a podcast without Marvel seeping into it in some way, shape, or form. So I've I've kind (laughs) of just given up on that as far as that goes. But again, one of the biggest kind of, I'll say, hilarities that kind of emerged out of the last five years specifically was how it seemed like every single studio just seemed to be trying to copy Marvel and fail miserably. You know, obviously, again, DC has done what they're done, and they're still kind of trucking along. But again, we had the Dark Universe. We had the Amazing Spider-Man Sony-verse. There was even one point they were discussing trying to cross over Men in Black with uh, the, the Jump Street movies. We see ghost, we've seen all different sorts of Ghostbuster reboots. We're going to get another one of those this year. Like, the, they're, just, they're just never going to end. And they're going to keep finding new ways in order to try and continue to rip off Marvel. But the strange thing that I noticed, and I was commenting on this a long time before it kind of became popular on the internet, is that this, these movies have, in a sense, successfully actually done a cinematic universe. Because even if the connective material, I'll say, between the movies, specifically with some of the characters, is not necessarily the strongest, as, say, something like a Marvel, it still, in a sense, has had a pretty cohesive story that's run from Godzilla 2014 all the way through to this movie. So you've seen all four movies now, right? I mean, obviously, I know you had to go back and rewatch a couple, but, like, kind of walk me through that, you know? Because, obviously, you've made your thoughts on kind of shared cinematic universes and constantly having to put on movie after movie after movie in order to build up to something. So, like, walk me through your kind of thought process on just, like, this particular movie and this particular franchise in general. Yeah, so if we're asking the question of does the MonsterVerse work, right? I would say it does because I think that, we have two very, really well-written, in my opinion, very strong sort of origin stories. And these origin stories are, I think, different than the Marvel origin stories because we really understand the struggle of, you know, the man versus nature, the man versus man, right? You know, who's on the side of the creatures is taking the side of Mother Nature. But, of course, there's greed, there's gluttony, there's always, you know, imperialism, uh, corporatism, um, you know, industrialism that's, obviously always against what Godzilla and what Kong represent, you know, sort of nature's correcting writing course. And so I think like it works because where are we asking these questions this big in Marvel? You know, where are we like digging down in the DC universe and sort of thinking about environmentalism and how we affect the environment and are our actions what enrage these beasts to come out of hiding and to finally poke their heads in our society you know what i'm not asking those questions when i'm sitting there watching aquaman and i love that movie that's why i use it as an example i'm simply not and i and i also reference that movie because of course that movie has a bunch of those environmental undertones but i think the writing isn't as tactful or as as mature i want to say honestly which is so silly to use when talking about giant monster movies but it's just not as mature so therefore i just don't take it as seriously but i'm actually sitting there thinking about like man like we might actually be doing some damage to this planet when i'm watching these movies and it doesn't actually take away from you know a half hour after that these monsters start smashing each other up and destroying buildings no it actually enriches the experience more and so it's a bit different than when we were just talking about nobody because nobody if you guys don't know i felt was a really really strong example of the dissonance that has happened in action storytelling and sort of what I think is what we've lost from years prior that used to make action storytelling so special. It's not the same type of movie, but the approach is the same because I'm still thinking on a deeper level watching this film than I am with any other Marvel film. So yeah, I think just thinking about what these movies are founded on, the foundation, the house that they're they're building, it's I think it's already so much stronger in four movies than than Marvel and and DC or any of these universes so i think at its core yes the monsterverse does work but i mean what what about you i mean i love the irony just of the fact of four movies about giant monsters fighting with each other and destroying cities ends up kind of being a subtle message about environmentalism i just love that but um kind of to bounce off that so i i guess kind of we in order to really kind of understand this we need to break each movie down by in a case-by-case basis which is similar to what 
kind of we did before. But I guess before we do that, I feel like kind of what this franchise has going for it that I feel like every other cinematic universe kind of missed and kind of, again, Marvel was really the only one that made it work because they were the first ones to really try it out, is that this franchise is, in a sense, a series, which none of the other kind of shared cinematic universes were or really ever had a chance to be, you know? Again, Man of Steel and kind of the Zack Snyder kind of trilogy within the greater DC universe has only kind of retroactively become so because of the Snyder cut of, of Justice League, you know? But before, it was Man of Steel led to Batman vs. Superman, led to Suicide Squad, and it was kind of like all over the place, you know? And the crazy, and the interesting thing about Marvel and what they're able to pull off with their shared cinematic storytelling is that they are able to have multiple franchises with different characters happening simultaneously that end up building up to these giant event movies. But these movies, for lack of a better word, they are still a series, and they do still follow... A certain chronology, even if you see a different batch of characters in each movie. You know, Aaron Taylor Johnson, we haven't seen him since that first movie, and obviously we're not going to see any of the characters from the Kong movie, except for maybe one that stuck up in a certain way, because that movie was a period piece, right? But I think that what's really interesting kind of about this as a cinematic universe, if we're going to use that word, rather than a franchise, that kind of separates it from the ilk and kind of elevates it above the rest and makes it, while also, again, keeping itself out of the limelight of Marvel, so that way it seems to be the only one that hasn't been affected, is the fact that, in a sense, these are, the, the craziest thing is that even though, again, these are big-budget studio IP movies, they are still done by filmmakers that want to make a movie in addition to making a giant piece of blockbuster uh, monster mash spectacle, you know? The first Godzilla is directed by Gareth Edwards, the director of Rogue One, and it becomes Im immediately clear upon rewatching that movie that he wants to make that like a Jaws movie. He wants to make Jaws. There's a reason why Godzilla's barely in that movie, and it works. As far as I'm concerned, the first hour of that movie is one of the most suspenseful hours that I've ever sat through. And again, I don't necessarily agree per se, with all of Jordan Vogt Roberts' choices that he made on Kong Skull Island, but I admire that he actually had the balls, and I'll say it right there, no, like, kind of, you know, like, subtle references or anything, to actually try to make a Vietnam movie uh, metaphor in the form of a of them being stuck on an island filled with giant monsters that are going to kill them, you know? Again, Godzilla King of the Monsters takes a little bit of a misstep because I think that Michael Dougherty, that director who directed uh, Krampus, and uh, one other kind of low-budget B-horror movie there is he's a little bit too in love with the creatures there, so much so that he kind of misses the human drama, and you get a lot of really weird, bizarre choices, and it's like, okay, even the most insane person on the planet would never make that type of a decision, you know? That's kind of where, like, the environmentalism, like, kind of the need of, oh, we need to, the only way to solve environmentalism is to exterminate the human race, where it's like, uh, right. okay, that's where we're going with this. And now we got Adam Wingard, Coming in with this movie, Adam Wingard, famously the director of The Guest and Your Next, and most recently the Netflix adaptation of Death Note. Again, he's had a really interesting track record so far, and he's probably the only one of these guys that doesn't really have a distinct style, but at the very least, it's clear that he wants to make a movie. What this movie, if this movie is necessarily trying to say something, I don't know, but if I can grasp one sense of kind of underlying, like kind of more thought-provoking intellectual fare from this movie, which again, I've already said at the top, is kind of just an excuse to throw the biggest, baddest wrestling match of all time, is that <laughs> kind of the idea of, you know, dominance of, you know, one species going at it, and alpha, and, you know, the kind of the alpha of the species, and, you know, whether, you know, kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, like, whether they can get along, in a sense, and unifying against a greater threat, you know, again, all kind of basic stuff that, like, is really, really on the nose and obvious, but, like, it's still there. And, like, he's still trying, you know? And, again, like you said, since I can't think of a single thing that a Marvel... I, I can only think of two Marvel movies that have ever actually been about something right. other than just superhero fare, which is The Winter Soldier and Black Panther. Those are the only two Marvel movies to me that are actually about something, you know? Age of Ultron tried, and that movie was reviled. So that just, you know, caused Marvel to, like, right. not even bother trying. And Civil yeah, War, you know, I know we that we that both actually out, like but, Age yeah. of Ultron, but I guess that's just different taste. Right. But no, man, you're uh, you're totally right, man. You're definitely onto something there because you know, like the thing about the first Godzilla film, and I'll sort of, I guess, walk through and, and maybe even corroborate just with some different sentiments, sort of what you said, rather echo your points. Uh, you know, that that's a really good film because you know the humans are so believable that world feels so real it feels so lived in and it's like a movie it's not like contributing to a larger sum it's and i know it's hard to say that because yes it's the first and no one knew back then that this would end up in a four film run but there had to be some sort of roadmap and i do believe that like regardless even if it was just a one and done film like they wanted to make 
a classic sort of monster film and, and you can see their homework there. You can see what I've been talking about lately. Like they, they really studied, you know, Spielberg's jaws. They really nailed that tension, that stress that you feel watching that film as old as it is. Every time I go back to that movie, I still feel that stress and it's because it works. It doesn't matter if it's made in 2014 or if it's made in, you know, 1978, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, Filmmaking techniques don't change. All that happens is you have people who are good at using them and who aren't. So I think we can and work our technology. way up. Yeah, technology certainly helps, but I mean, look what James Cameron was able to do with that first Terminator. I mean, they, they weren't as you know equipped as they are now with him doing Avatar and all that, and he still made a great film. So I just think it's like you know the, the toolkit isn't all that matters. It's it's the person behind it and and sort of the homework they do. And I think so far throughout the entire you know. MonsterVerse, they've known the characters, they've known what they were trying to say, they understood that they had this route with nature and and people are more aware now than they were before about the environment and the impact that we're having on it as people, but they're also able to play both sides, right? And and they do a really fair job of presenting all the arguments in a monster film, so you're thinking, you're constantly thinking, and yeah, you know, King of the Monsters was a bit of a step back, but I still have to give it props in the spectacle of it. I mean, it was still a very visually stunning movie, the fights were really awesome i mean godzilla taking on everything and it was just it was like amazing third act for a pretty terrible people drama but again that wasn't that director's bag and now we've seen that they've gone back to that in this movie and man i mean the monsterverse works it really works because it does more than it has to you know i think this film could have put butts in seats regardless but the fact that they're allowing people like us and other critics to think this deeply on it I don't know, man. Like, I have to respect this movie. Like, I'm not going to go and say it's going to be in my top 10 of 2021 or anything like that. Let's be real. There's still a lot of movies yet to come out. If it makes it, hey, you know, no one knows what's going to happen. It's still early in the year. But but what I am saying is I, I was really impressed and sort of blown away by how much thought they put into this and, and then how much thought has come to me from this silly little film that yeah. I think a lot of people wrote off at least more in a spectacle way than this sort of thought out people drama and you know man versus self all, all those amazing things you learn about in film school are present here but in a way that it's just i don't know man i like this film i think the monsterverse works so uh dom did, yeah. it, no what did were you, you have a final point here on this no, no, i was gonna say that's a pretty good segue into our next topic of conversation which is kind of um what's it called which is uh is this what is missing from action storytelling, you know, because you've talked about that a lot recently. So we're going to get into that in a little bit next. But once again, people, again, if you're still tuned in, again, if you haven't already, leave this video a like, leave a comment, let us know what your thoughts are. If you've been able to see the movie so far, and be sure to click the subscribe button. That way, it'll be helping us out tremendously so that we can give you guys more talking TV content. So, Chris, you've been talking a little bit recently about action storytelling kind of you know again we watch face off we watch nobody we're on a little bit of an action kick you know we're, we're gonna have a lot more action movies to talk about you know i feel that's gonna be a big topic of conversation throughout the rest of 21 again 2021 which again of course if we have the actual current movie slate to go based off of we have a fast and furious movie coming out which i know you're so looking forward to we got a top gun movie coming out we got a mission impossible movie coming out and that's not even accounting for all the you know the kind of the Mortal under Kombat, the radar movies that we don't even know away. about what's that Mortal Kombat, just a few there, weeks away. Exactly, exactly. We're, we're, we're going to have a lot of action movies to talk about. And again, it's in the sense of where we talked a lot about how kind of, again, every single genre that has not been eaten up by Marvel has kind of been spit out, and, you know, kind of been picked up by Netflix and everything. And, but again, you, you watch Face Off, you loved it. You watch Nobody, you loved it. So I guess kind of my question for you is before I get into my bit is does this solve so, uh, you know, or kind of answer some more of the problems that you have with just action storytelling in general. A hundred percent it does, because like I said, this is a different film than nobody in, in the questions it begs in, in the, in the, obviously the execution, the scale, right? I mean, two completely different style films. That's how broad the action verse is. And, and that's why I think action is such when done right, an amazing genre to explore because it truly has a little bit of everything. You know, there's people drama, there's amazing explosions, whether it be Godzilla smashing Kong through a neon building in, in Hong Kong, or whether it be Saul beating someone up over the banister of his, uh, of his house. I mean, you know, it's, you can do a lot in this genre, and if done right, it's it's usually pretty rewarding. And you kind of leave the theater or, you know, get up off of your couch feeling like, man, that was crazy, right? And, like, I haven't had that feeling a lot lately. But, uh, I mean, sorry, I haven't had that feeling until lately, rather, where uh, for a long time it just felt stale. It felt like, oh, 
yeah, they drag and drop that there, and then they copy and paste that there, and okay, we have a two-and-a-half-hour movie, and Thanos dies in the end. Okay. And so, yeah, because think about this movie, man. Like, all that we've been saying so far on this podcast, but if you're just tuning in for this clip, I'll, I'll, I'll reiterate lightly. I mean, just the questions that it pegs, you know? Like, I never thought... I would be thinking deeply about environmentalism after watching a Godzilla vs. Kong movie, but that's good writing. Good writing isn't just for the spectacle of it, and I think really that's what the unfortunate sort of uh, you know causality of these Marvel films being so big and so impactful on pop culture, that's what it's really created, this snowball effect of what are we building up to instead of the moment being meaningful, right? It, I get it. Arcs are in, in storytelling, but I feel like if you're spending two hours in a film, you at least want to leave with something that begs a question for you to chew on in that moment, not just be happy about they found one more of the Infinity Stones and we're working towards this big giant purple guy, you know? And so these these smaller films and, and this, this universe, this MonsterVerse, man, they really are doing a great job with looking towards the future and also giving you something so heavy and so strong in the moment. And this is what action storytelling to me is, you know, it's it's being able to, in franchises especially, look to the future while also making your audience feel so happy they spent their time with you in the moment. So, so I don't know. Does that I'm help? not going to go as far as to say that this movie is the most deeply written movie because, again, environmentalism has kind of been a subtle link within all these movies, but again, like... No, nobody's tuning. In, I'm sorry, nobody's tuning into this movie to watch like how like Kong and Godzilla are affecting each other's, you know, the nature of, of the world. They're tuning in to watch them smack the shit out of each other. You know, that's the real reason. So I kind of wanted to dive into this little micro tidbit, which is kind of the idea of the versus movies, right? Because I think that it's relevant as far as how it affects not only action movies but kind of maybe some of the problems that have afflicted both these movies and other movies. So as you know, there is a versus in this title, and that versus has been in the title of a couple of other movies. Alien versus Predator, Freddy versus Jason, Monsters versus Aliens. Um, again, like the original King Kong versus Godzilla, to name a few. You know, and it, just recently, Batman versus Superman. And I think it's safe to say that while certain of those movies are enjoyable, and those movies all definitely have their fans, I cannot say for we without a reasonable shadow of a doubt that all those are necessarily good movies per se. And what I'm trying to get at is that I think what this movie does right that a couple of other, that a lot of those other movies don't do right is because it's kind of the same thing with wrestling terms, right? When you watch something and just having to do with marketing, right? You watch something based off of what you're told you're getting, right? That's how marketing works. That's why marketing goes out of its way in order to spruce up a product and make it seem better than it really is, you know? And that's why so many people feel like they're usually being lied to when it comes to marketing because that's kind of what it is. You know, marketing is a facade, but it also isn't. So the whole kind of trouble with versus movies, right, and why I kind of separate them from the ilk of action movies, right, is because when you go into an action movie, right, at the very least you know you're getting a story, Right? You're getting a main character. You're getting some type of antagonist. You're getting some type of obstacle that you're going to get, right? The reason why I think that that specific word versus does not lend itself to a traditional storytelling format is because it automatically sets the precedent in your mind that, oh, I'm just going to watch a two hour fight. And obviously, you can't watch that because that gets boring, you know? You can't just watch two straight hours of Godzilla and Kong beating the shit out of each other, you know? As entertaining as that sounds, and as that would be, it would be boring, you know? The problem, though, that it feels like every single movie before this has had is making the actual story work, you know? Batman vs. Superman, I've said this again. The only two parts of that movie that I actually actively enjoy and would go back and rewatch, the opening scene with Batman, because I think it's one of the greatest uses of actually visually establishing his arc throughout the movie and the actual fight itself. I could care less about anything else in that entire goddamn movie, you know? Kind of a similar thing with Freddy versus Jason. The stuff with actually Freddy and Jason is cool, and the actual fight between them is cool, and kind of having these two icons fight each other is cool, but do you care or remember a single one of those other characters in that movie? No, not at all. And you can kind of say the same thing about a lot of the other ones. So I think kind of, well, this movie certainly falls into the pitfalls of kind of the versus subgenre. It also, I think, what makes it work 
as opposed to some of those other movies, besides, again, just actually caring about its human characters and actually giving each of the human characters something to do. And while, again, some of those characters, I think, are a little bit joker than they need to be, as far as I'm concerned, Brian Tyree Henry just being there to crack jokes and Julian Dennison just being there literally just to get made fun of and then to solve a really kind of easily thing. It's like, oh, I'm just going to pour this drink over here and that's going to solve everything. You know, again, I'm still really not that convinced that that kid's a good actor. I still single-handedly think that he almost torpedoes Deadpool 2. But with that being said, I think that what this movie does right that all the other Versus movies don't do is that it very clearly understands, okay, you're here to watch Godzilla versus Kong. We're going to give you that. But, and we're going to get to it as fast as possible. And we're also going to make sure that you're having as fun a ride as possible. Because this movie, to me, I'm not going to say that, again, the story itself is the deepest. But it is such a fun and entertaining ride that there's not a single moment where I can say that I'm bored. Totally. No, I see all those points, although I actually disagree. I think that this film stands out from the rest of those versus movies because of how much weight there is to the storytelling and because of how, you know, I think every person in this film, while sometimes it's a bit hokier than others, I do think they have a purpose and there was a clear direction. And I think they very smartly sort of kept some characters more on the sideline, a.k.a. Millie Bobby Brown's father, who I, you know, it's funny. You said single-handedly tanked Deadpool. I think he might have single-handedly tanked Godzilla. Not him, him, her friend, the the, the fast. No, I know. I was saying you said that about him for Deadpool. I'm saying that about the um, the father of uh, Millie Bobby Brown in these series. I'm forgetting his name, but I I would say he single-handedly tanked. Uh, yeah, exactly. He single-handedly tanked King of the Monsters. But I disagree with you because, well, I do think that these versus movies are certainly more for the moment. And, you know, they, they come and go and they obviously make a killing in the moment for the most part. But then they're not really, if they're looked at later on, it's like for people like us who study this type of stuff, right? But But I disagree with you because... A, this is connected to a universe, and this is sort of a new phenomenon, having these cinematic universes. So, you know, back in the past, I mean, you know, the Alien vs. Predator, sure, you could say that the films before it applied, but the thought was different. It was a different time, a different era of filmmaking. And so that's why I think that this film works better than some of those versus films that I've seen, because we have familiarity with some of the characters. We sort of know where they're coming from. And so we're able to continue on with them and I think they did a really good job in this film. I think some of the people writing was the strongest in this film since those uh, those origin stories. And I, I think we really recovered from King of the Monsters. And, and I think a lot of that has to do with how this isn't just a versus film. Because, you know, I normally don't say this, man. I, I actually want more. Like, I'm curious if we could go somewhere else, where we could go. Because I do think that the creative talent behind these films... Well, I'm not saying they're the most groundbreaking films of all time. I'm saying for what these films are, they're really done at the highest level you can do them at. And so that's why I disagree. And I, I totally see your sentiment about these versus film. I, I agree with you a lot looking back. But I think in the present moment, I have to disagree about this specific film. While there are some tropes and some pitfalls that it does fall into, I will give you that. Pouring that drink on the on the electronics and, and sort of turning the tide of war that quickly. Yes, I, get, I 100% see what you're saying. But for the most part, right, looking at this film as like, I guess, like a media practitioner, you know, studying this thing. I do think it's a little bit above the rest. And, and no, but and that's the thing. I this absolutely is the best versus movie that I've ever seen. But again, it's not that high of a bar to overcome. But this is still absolutely the best one. I'm just saying that as far as kind of it, it, it's not necessarily kind of applied towards the movie, more so just the kind of title itself. But again, like there's very few instances where this can actually work. And in a way, I'm actually kind of complimenting it because it's the one thing that actually did make that work and actually did pull it off, you know? Again, if we're just talking about kind of a lot of those other versus movies, again, like Freddy versus Jason, like how do you screw that up? You know, Alien versus Predator, like how do you screw that up? That's like one of the easiest things to do and yet they somehow both did so that's kind of like where i'm coming from as far as that goes so whether it's a step in the right direction versus movies i still personally think that that term should just be retired in general because i think again it's way more so of a wrestling terminology and it doesn't necessarily lend itself to a story and at the end of the day we still go to movies to watch stories as fun and action and spectacle filled as they are but that's kind of where i'm coming from with that but hey, you, you guys you guys let us know. Is this what action storytelling's been missing? I mean, leave a comment, hit subscribe to this channel if you like this video, give this video a thumbs up and and let us know, guys. We'd love to know your thoughts in the comments below. So we have a few more topics left on tonight's yes. show. And so Dom, my I'm favorite hit one. you with the oh, big man. one here. All right, okay? all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah, let's do this. I mean so. we know we know what we know what we're bracing this up for, so yeah, exactly. We've been hinting at a certain movie a lot tonight, and now I got to ask you guys and yeah. Dom the question. Dom, okay. 
is this film better or worse than Godzilla King of the Monsters? Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, it was King of the Monsters was suddenly come. No, come on, come on. I, I can't, I can't even keep that video up for that long. Of course, it's better. It's King of the Monsters. I'm not again. I don't like to dive into hyperbo- hyperboles too much because I think there's the internet. There's just way too much hyperbolization going on right now. But there's an argument to be made that King of the Monsters might be one of the worst theater going experiences I've ever had. And I should never say that in a movie where I actually got to see Godzilla fight, um, fight. Ghidorah and see Mothra and Rodan go at it at the same time and have that fucking incredible sequence Rodan is chasing the planes through the sky. One of my favorite just CG spectacle sequences in recent memory, but that movie might be one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And that is some strong praise considering just how many bad movies I've seen. So again, of course this movie is better than that movie. You know, And I feel so bad because I saw this with my dad, and this was one of only two movies besides Avengers Endgame that he was actually looking forward to watching that he knew about beforehand. The other being Rambo, Last Blood, and they both sucked, and they were both so bad. They were two of the worst movies that I saw in 2019. And it's just hilarious because... For, if I could just take a quick second to kind of make up for lost time and me kind of not being able to review King of the Monsters the way that I wanted to two years ago when that came out, I think the thing that torpedoes that movie, that kind of in a way propped up the two movies that came before that and this movie is, again, we all complain about the human dramas and it's like, again, we don't care about the humans, we just want to see the monsters fight. But again, you, you need the humans there because, again, as I said before, two hours of just straight monster fighting, that's boring. So what that movie did was it tried to continue with the self-imposed seriousness of the first two movies, but we were kind of moving into a different form of allegory, right? In that sense, it's like with the amount of monsters that were in that movie, like kind of the monster exploration elements and the unveiling of all the different titans were kind of cool. But when we got to the human drama, it's like, oh, okay, so we're 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 taking this very seriously because if we don't do this, then the, then the monsters are going to rise up and destroy everything. But then they're just cracking jokes, and you have, of course, Thomas Middleditch mugging for the camera, and you have Millie Bobby Brown kind of just be, kind of being pointless, and you have a, mm-hmm. this plethora of celebrity cameos that all feel, like, really strange and, like, kind of there's no reason for them to be there, and when they're not expositing and telling us stuff about the monsters, they're just, like, making dumb action one-liners and cracks, and then I'm like, oh, God. And then we get to the creme de la creme when Vera Farmiga reveals her plan, which, again, even by insane movie villain standards, might be one of the most insane plans I've ever heard where she's going to use this device that she created to communicate with the, with the Titans to awaken the Titans, specifically the one Titan that is Godzilla's self-imposed nemesis, Ghidorah, who, again, the fact that they were studying this thing for this long and they weren't able to figure out that it was an alien is still beyond me, right? But again, you know, logic. <laughs> You're so right. I and I love how... But, but, wait, wait, wait. And then, and then, she's going to go there and say, oh, humanity is the cure, therefore we need to all be wiped out by these Titans. I'm like, that was the moment to me where I'm like, bro, usually we get at least three quarters of the way into the movie before I'm fully checked out. We weren't even to the halfway point of the movie yet. I'm pretty sure that sequence happened like right before the Rodan sequence. And I was like, what the fuck? And I'm like, we still have an hour left of this movie? Like, what the hell? Yeah, no, I mean, it's very rare when the third act brings me back into a film, but th- really the saving grace of that movie was things when things started getting exploding yeah. and smashed. And, and I'm not going to lie, real quick, I'm not going to lie, it was definitely a little bit satisfying for me to see how badly those monsters fucked up DC. You know, just as a personal <laughs> point, just kind of how my personal thoughts go towards our politicians and what they're doing now. I'm like, oh man, that, that made me feel a little <laughs> bit better, you know? I definitely echo that sentiment a little bit. And so what I, what I will say is, man, I love how this movie kind of nodded to the pitfall of King of the Monsters where the bad guy's about to give a speech he's about to really go on a tangent and then he just gets killed that was amazing and the, and like, the, I really thought... Henry afterwards goes like man I really wanted to hear the rest of his speech I'm like yeah, alright yeah, you, yeah, you got yeah. points for that one I'm like, you, I'm like I mostly hated every line of dialogue that's come out of your mouth so far throughout this movie but you get points for that one Exactly. No, it was that was a good moment. I think that was like sort of the moment where I realized like, hey, you know, these people are self-aware. They understand that this franchise was doing pretty good for a while and had had a little bit of a pitfall in the shape of King of the Monsters. And so with that being said, man, there's not much I can really add to King of the Monsters. I mean, it, it was a very unenjoyable experience. Thomas Middleditch was very 
very disappointing in that film. Yeah. I mean, he was riding so many highs being the Verizon guy in Silicon Valley. I mean, at, that at point the risk time, of not, I mean, at the risk of not getting into the whole Silicon Valley scandal that's kind of upheaved, let's just say that I'll add Thomas Middleditch to my list of guys that I've never really thought were as funny as other people made him out to be, and that movie kind of proved it, you know? And then now he's yeah. essentially, and hey. now he's essentially, you know, he's canceled now too. Again, I'm not going to go into that for anyone who wants to know what I'm uh, talking yeah. about. Go look up the Silicon Valley scandal. But yeah, uh, I, no, I, think you're right. the, I think the only thing I can add to that is kind of, it's always risky when you have these franchises to get into the self-aware angle, right? Because you know, every single time it always happens. Usually it, when it was on TV, it was the, the last season of a television show. The Wire season five, I think is the best example of this. In movies, it's always when you get into the last installment. Endgame was, Endgame did this up to spades, which is where they kind of reference their previous installments and kind of like try to go meta and make jokes about it. And it's very rare that it actually works out well. But this movie kind of did make it work. But I think that's mostly because just because it was, of, again, just it was one such, tiny moment. Right. But also because it was just such a vast improvement as a, as a, as a movie over the previous installment with King of the Monsters. So exactly. That's really so while we're still in King of the Monsters land, I had a second sort of, yes, second sort of, you know, parlay off of that initial question. So we sort of spoke about, you know, why, which is better or worse? Obviously, you know, this is so much better than King of the Monsters. I mean, Godzilla vs. Kong, any movie's better than King of the Monsters, but this movie's light years better than King of the Monsters. But the second part I wanted to ask was, did the MonsterVerse recover with this film? Did it get its good name back? Because we got to remember, those those Kong Skull Island and, and Godzilla film, both of those films were pretty well received, and they made a boatload of money, $600 million roughly each. I mean, they were coming in pretty strong as a brand new cinematic universe. So I want to save a decent amount of that conversation for when we talk about the HBO of it all, but the one thing that I'll say to that is it's definitely going to be interesting tracking this movie's success, but we also have to keep in mind that this, this specific movie's success is going to be, is we're going to have to include a lot of caveats because, again, the circumstances around this movie's release are so much different than the previous three movies that were released in this franchise. But, again, coming off of King of the Monsters, which, as we said, it was, again, not a flop, but definitely a box office disappointment, especially compared to the last two. And, obviously, this movie's already light years more well-received and doing well. Again, like, it's... Essentially, as kind of the movie that is reopening movie theaters, again, we still don't know whether, like, kind of the logistics of that. But as the movie that is kind of reopening movie theaters, I think it's safe to say people are pretty stoked about this. Considering that I've seen a couple Facebook posts from people who are lining up to see this in the theater saying that yeah. every single theater and every single showing is uh, what's it called, is packed and filled. It's, so. Uh... It kind of seems like we're back in uh, pre-COVID times a little bit with this film. A which little, is awesome a little. Okay, not, not quite, but we're getting there. Right. Exactly. And so I guess, hey guys, that that's uh, our segment on is this film better or worse than King of the Monsters? I'm pretty sure everyone has the same answer, but so. if you have I a different so. answer, let us know in the comments. Let us know what you thought about this clip. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. Give this video a thumbs up. And so we are here our final topic. Yes. Dom, I know you presented this topic to me, so I want to give you the honors of sort of introducing it, man. Let's do well, it. I mean, obviously, again, it goes into kind of Part of, part of the thing every time we talk about one of these HBO Max releases, which again, the HBO Max of it all, and kind of like how just this movie's release schedule, similar to the previous movies that we talked about, uh, this, I think the only big prominent one really was Judas and the Black Messiah, but again, we're going to talk about the same thing when we talk about Mortal Kombat, when we talk about Matrix 4, when we talk about Dune, when we talk about Conjuring, when we talk about Reminiscence, when we talk about In the Heights, when we talk about all the different movies, when we talk about The Suicide Squad, when we talk about all these different movies that are coming out, again, as part of HBO Max's drastic kind of, again, not panic move, but kind of, yeah, I'll call it a panic move of dropping all their movies simultaneously on Max in addition to them streaming. But I think the difference with this movie as opposed to our previous movie where we talked about this with Judas and the Black Messiah and also the first HBO major HBO Max drop of the year with Denzel Washington's The Little Things is this is the first movie that is not really like kind of like a mid-budget level drama. This is a, what, what is, I got to assume like $400-$600 million budgeted like monster gigantic action spectacle smash this is a movie that quite like tenant was last year when tenant tried to open movie theaters in the middle of a pandemic it is quite literally the definition of a made for theater movie right this is a movie that you want to go out you want to see this in the theater you want to be in a big gigantic crowd munching on popcorn cheering when kong punches godzilla in the face and then when godzilla turns around and smacks him into a building you know you want to be there and cheer for all all those you know for all those movies and you want to be in a crowd and see that so i think kind of it's very interesting how 
while at the same time there are going to be a lot of people that are lining up to go and see this in a theater, and again, how this is going to be the first major theatrical movie since the pandemic started, really, I do think it is still interesting that there are going to be those people who do just stay at home and watch this on HBO yeah. Max. You know, everyone that I've talked to has said, oh, no, I'm waiting to see this in the theater, but... I just wanted to kind of pick your brain and get your thoughts on that because this is still drastically different than Judas and the Black Messiah, which in a way was helped by its HBO Max release because if that movie had been released in a theater in a normal year, it would have gotten eaten alive and forgotten amongst the slew of other Oscar bait movies. Totally, man. Yeah. So, I mean, if we're talking about, like, is this film a success? I think monetarily, you kind of have to understand that it's it's not going to achieve the same level that even King of the Monsters did. I think that brought in roughly around like 300 to 400 million. So if the first two I know brought in around 600 million, I, I, I don't know how you can't. I, I think so. You can't really gauge success of this film entirely off the money, which I think anyone sitting in a suit right now, <laughs> like, you know, HBO or all that there, they're, they don't want to hear that. But the thing is, I think that this film has been a very big success over the internet. I think the social media reception is a, is a way you kind of have to gauge it. I think the hashtags and, and, and how the fact that it's trending on Twitter and all of that type of stuff, right? You know, and it's been trending prior with the whole Team Kong, Team Godzilla thing. I, I think it's a success because people... You know, people sort of gravitate to this universe. They've built up good faith with the first two films. I, I don't think that King of the Monsters, while it was a step backwards, I don't think it was the big nail in the coffin to a cinematic universe where, you know, we saw the dark universe that couldn't even get off the ground. I don't think it was anywhere near that type of impact. But I do think that if you're looking at this as a critic, you're going to look at it differently if you're just a moviegoer, you know, and if you're definitely in the business side of things, this is, I don't see how if you're a businessman, you're going to say this is going to be a success unless miraculously, you know, the, uh, the, the, the total gross globally kind of gets you at least making your money back on this film. But I think the decision to sort of parlay your film release with a streaming service release already sort of limits some of the profit that you were going to make. I think maybe some of that deal, right? I wouldn't be surprised if maybe there was a certain percentage going to, um, I believe, who was this, Legendary that produces that? Yeah, le uh, yeah, le yeah, Legendary, which again kind of raised a big stink when obviously they, you know, ate Warner and Abe made the decision to drop this. And again, they, I know they made an even bigger thing about Dune, but as far as I'm concerned, they've, they've been compensated, you know, uh, duly for that. You know, like there's a reason why yeah. you don't see guys like Nolan and Denny Villeneuve complaining anymore about the about the theat loss of the theatrical window and all that. No, I, I think this is going to be a strange one because it's never going to say next to it 600 million, 700 million, even hell, a billion. But which, will it, though? Who knows? Because I wanted to break that down further because just within I, I don't, one day. I don't think so. Well, but, uh, but the reason why I wanted to bring that up, right? So obviously, again, Again, traditional theatrical going experience, right? They would wait until the end of the weekend, usually again the, the Thursday night through the Sunday night receipts in order to, and that would determine the movie's opening weekend, right? I just wanted to say that we obviously again advanced screeners being what they are, but this is the first day where this is technically available to watch in theaters and available at the same time on HBO Max. And according to these numbers, this movie's already grossed 123 million off of uh, roughly 160 to 200 million dollars, you know? And again, we've talked a lot in the past about just kind of how the metric of success is going to drastically change with these movies being dropped on streaming services, but even so, that that's not a low amount, and that's after one day. That's not after four, four or five days. That's one day, you know? Obviously, the data's going to change and shift, and we're going to have to keep track of it going forward, but I don't think that's nothing, you know? And I definitely think that kind of the, I, the whole conversation that we were having a couple months ago as far as kind of the traditional theatrical window being being dead, you know, and kind of only certain types of movies going to them, even if they're completely gone and out of the way, I think we're definitely going to need to reformat that thought process going forward because I feel like if this movie shows one thing, it's that theaters are not going away anytime soon and they're definitely fighting to stay alive because now, kind of before, it was like streaming was like the sleeping giant that they weren't aware of kind of creeping up on them until the pandemic kind of pulled the curtain back and that was like, oh, and they were like, oh, shit, when they were forced to close down. And now that they know how much of an actual competition, how much of an actual threat the streaming model is, I think they're definitely going to make the necessary changes that they should have going forward, you know? Because, again, it shows... And, the, you know, what that money tells me is that people, besides being bored to tears with being stuck inside their houses for however many months inside, you know, 10, 11 months, the 10, 11, 12 months that we were stuck inside, people want to go out. And they want right. to go out and see this type of spectacle in a theater, you know? 
Yeah, so I think that kind of raises two thoughts in my mind. One, this this movie was estimated at $155 million. So if my number's true in the estimated budget that I got from Screen Rant and your number's true about the estimated total gross, they've already grossed $10 million more. So that's positive, right? They broke even mm-hmm. in a time when I don't know what films broke even recently. That's pretty <laughs> crazy tell, to say. Couldn't tell you with a gun pointed at my head. And and so the second thing is, I think it really depends on like the future of our lives with the COVID-19 virus and how we sort of grow and change and, and how these new strains that are sort of mutating affect us. That's something that's going to play into it. Th- another factor that's going to play into it is, are we going to do sort of like a Nielsen rating now if, if these movies can't make like the six, seven hundred million where it's like, OK, they didn't quite make that much money. But look how many eyeballs watched it both in theaters and on the screen. And is that going to be sort of the new metric? I, I mean, think it's changing. Essentially... I don't think we're going to quite get back to the same because I think you love movies too much to sort of admit the fact that there are still a lot of people who are not going to go out and see this in theaters who are afraid, who don't know what's going on in the world. And look, I get it. It was so great seeing nobody in theaters, but I'm not taking any risks I don't need to take. This is one I won't be going to see in theaters because because I had the comfort of seeing it in my house safely. And I think there's a lot of people who echo that sentiment. So until we can get back, until everyone can get vaccinated and we can be out there sort of safe and comfortably again, or at least what they tell us, right? It's all what they tell us. But with that in mind, I I do think, at least for a little while, I'm curious to see where people sort of chop it up and determine what's a success, what isn't. For me, I think you have to sort of reevaluate what you consider a success. Well, that's I actually wanted to bounce off that because again, like kind of the Neil, the whole Nielsen rating of it, that's kind of in a way both what Disney is doing now, kind of with their kind of you know how they kind of took over the monosphere, the you know the water cooler discussion with the television sphere, obviously with the back to back efforts of Mandalorian, WandaVision, and now Falcon and Winter Soldier. But that's also kind of if we think about it, obviously again, box office was still a big part of that. But that's also kind of the way, the general way in which movies were trending beforehand, you know, because again, a movie could make a lot of money in the theaters, but if it's not making those memes. And if it's not kind of the center of attention, you know, then it, it's going to fade away, you know? And that kind of was what a lot of the mid-budget movies were kind of having problems with, you know, in kind of the Marvel-dominated sphere of the last couple of years. So, in a sense, kind of the whole Nielsen ratings of it all wouldn't necessarily be something completely out of the ordinary. I guess it would just be more obvious to the untrained eye who may not have been aware of it before you know like kind of the Nielsen rating aspect has kind of always been a thing right because obviously back in the day in the olden days with television Nielsen ratings were essentially the equivalent of the box office because again it wasn't a direct source of revenue but it was it was still a it was still a numerical value that was assigned to said product that gave it a specific value that based on said value would attract certain amounts of advertisers which would allow them to make money and that's essentially what's going to happen here you know like they'll still make money and now that you have these movies that are both simultaneously opening in theaters and on streaming that's even double the revenue because again these studios are have been around since before what seems like most of our lifetimes you know most of the people that are having discussions about this you know they're going to make their money no matter what you know it doesn't matter if something's going to streaming if it's getting the premium subscription if it opens the theaters or if it does all three at once the studios are going to make their money no matter what you know it's why i kind of always laughed at the idea of oh pirating taking away from the artists i very very am in favor of that and i do believe that artists should get their due compensation but if we're being completely honest we all know that it is taken out of the pockets of the artists and but and the studios are laughing their way to the bank because they're still making their paychecks and they're still meeting their end of the year quotas you know no matter what so that's kind of my take on this no you're totally right and i think sort of to even further sort of elaborate on that just look at how now everyone's back up to like that fifty, sixty dollar cable bill because you know Comcast, uh, you know, um, you know all those Optimum, all those, all those sort of cable providers. Like, hey, look, we're gonna bundle in Netflix, we're gonna bundle in this, we're gonna bundle in Hulu, and and then even Disney made their own bundle, which then they go and sell the to freaking Viacom or, or Verizon, Verizon or wherever yeah. you get your cable. I would so, know that that's actually a thing that I'm advertising at my job. Like, I usually never mix business and personal, but I am literally using Disney Plus as an incentive in order. Order to go. try to get more people towards Verizon phones. So what happened? These companies figured out a way to survive because they changed their expectations. They changed sort of the way that they were gauging success. They moved it to a different model. And I think, honestly, that's what we're going to have to do here with movies. Yep. I really do hope, genuinely yep. hope, we return to being able to go every Friday night, watch a theater, feel safe, feel comfortable, and have these films make the crazy amount of money they're making because I think that as much as I hate the formula and as much as I hate sort of the machine that perpetuates these big films, I do think it's important for art as a whole to sort of show that it still has value and is still drawing people in mass numbers, you know, on a consistent basis. So yeah, there's always a, every side to a coin, right? And of course, who knows, man, we'll see. 
look, it's it's early. This is Thursday. The first time yep. we've ever talked about a film the day it's come it's out. It's actually really. Wednesday, so even even True. more. Yeah, even earlier. Yeah. The first time we, I think we've ever had. I think this is the first time we've ever talked about a movie on its release date in the middle of the week. Like I know this is kind of spring break, and I always kind of question the idea of like, why the hell are they releasing this on a Wednesday instead of a Friday? But hey, you know what? Like I said, it, it, it's the studios, and they're gonna do what they do. So I, I kind of just have to not not really question it and kind of just go along with it like they want me to. So with mm-hmm. that being said, Chris, um, final thoughts. Say it again. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. Yeah, um, this this movie, man, um, I got a lot more out of it than I thought I was going to. You know, I, I knew they would recover. Nothing can be worse than what we got. So if anything, <laughs> this was going to be a step forward regardless from King of the Monsters. But I guess I didn't realize how much of a step forward it was going to be. And it's because I, I kind of forgot how found the foundation these two the two films that this universe is built off of are so sound that you just have to kind of get back to that a little bit and offer something a little more and i think that's exactly what they did they did what they needed to do i think the faith has been restored with the fans i mean just look at the explosive reaction to the whole team this team that and the way everyone's talking about this film man it's snyderverse has been forgotten already and i think that's the main reason why the snyder fans are upset but we did almost have a Captain Marvel situation where these fucking entitled fanboys, and I'm going to call them out for what they are, because Jesus Christ, they cannot be satisfied by anything, almost tried to pull a Captain Marvel and spam this movie as a way to get back at Warner Brothers for not greenlighting the Snyderverse. So I just wanted to put that out there, you know? <laughs> well, uh, to me, I feel like that's a small minority in the vast majority of film heads I, who again, are now, I, I hope to God you're right. Down. I hope to God you're right. But all that I'm going to say is they still bullied Warner Brothers into making the Snyder Cut. That is all that I am going to say to that. And we've sat through what? Three different Warner Brothers CEOs in the last five years alone just based off the success of these movies. Again, that the precedent just keeps getting more and more dangerous with that specific subsection of fan base. So all I'm going to say is do not underestimate those guys. Fair enough. I, I still think uh, this movie has become the new talk of the town. And so with that being said, man, I, I got a lot out of this thing, man. I really did. I had, I had a fun time with it. I've been getting yeah. sick of action films lately. And then something miraculous happened where we started getting a few good action films in, in, the, in the middle of it all. And so, yeah, maybe I'm not sick of action films. Maybe I'm just sick of terrible writing and, and poor thought being put into a film and so yeah i'm gonna have to give this movie a 3.5 out of 5 because i think it really delivered it was it was solid the fights were awesome the human drama was awesome the sort of array of subtext you could really get out of this was pretty impressive because i really never think this hard when i watch an action film so yeah 3.5 out of 5 and that's my thoughts on godzilla vs kong yeah, I'm not going to lie and say that I thought particularly hard about this movie only because I'm like, oh, cool, these are some pretty visuals, and oh, cool, I know every single one of these actors, and they're all giving pretty good performances. You know, again, I, I didn't think that for Rebecca that Rebecca Hall's next big gigantic blockbuster franchise after Iron Man 3 was going to be her literally communicating with a deaf girl and using her in order to kind of communicate with a gigantic CG gorilla, but hey, she was good. I liked all the actors in it, you know? Again, it had parts that kind of annoyed me and that were kind of, you know, cliched. But I guess the difference with this movie and the last couple is that this movie, I knew exactly what I was getting going in, and this movie for once actually delivered. The action was awesome. The spectacle was great. It was just a fun ride overall. There were quite literally points where I felt like I was on an amusement park ride, and I'm not saying that in, like, a hacky, like, like, like cliched way in order to use that as a detriment of the movie. It's actually a positive for the movie. You know, again, movies work because they were experiences, and this most certainly was an experience, and I knew exactly what it was, and for that, I'll give this movie, again, like you, you know what, actually, screw it, I'm going four out of five for this, I don't care, you know, like, I take each and every movie as it is, and even with my perceived faults, I'm like, look, if I gave Cherry four out of five, I can give this four out of five, so I'm absolutely giving this four out of five. Yeah, if you gave Cherry yeah, four out of five. You heard me, you heard me. Four out of five, that's for sure. I'll be no, that guy. Gosh, I don't uh, care, I'll die on that hill, I liked Cherry, I will be, I will die on that goddamn hill, I don't care. Yeah, hey man, there's uh, something for everyone, I suppose. And yeah. So if if you guys feel differently, if you guys agree, let us know in the comments below. Give this video a thumbs up and subscribe. We love doing this for you, and we're coming at you seven days a week now. Yes, so we we're are. We're going to be uploading clips from this video every single day next week. So if you thought God, we were done with Godzilla vs. Kong, oh, just wait. We've got so much more. We're bringing back our Studio Ghibli segment with Jim Bob. We're talking about Grave of the Fireflies with him next week. We've got so much more planned for you guys for the month of April. We're going to be continuing doing our Falcon and Winter Soldier re- uh, reactions and reviews. 
every single Friday at 8 p.m. We've got a couple more things coming your way. A video that may have, we may have gotten screwed out of by YouTube might be coming back in a big way. We've got a couple interviews coming up, a couple more top 10 lists, a couple more interesting topics. And at the end of April, Chris, we're doing it. We're actually getting the Academy Awards, and that's going to be a very, very interesting discussion in and of itself. And for all of that and more, if you guys just click the subscribe button, click the like button, leave a comment in the comment section below. That way, that can continue to boost our numbers and continue to allow us to give you guys the content that you, the fans, deserve. Because let's face it, we love doing this, and we really don't want to do anything else at this point. We're on our third year, our third season, and we're only going onward and upward. We've already done more within the first three months than I feel like we've done in the past uh, year and a half that we've been doing, the past two years that we've been doing this podcast and i'm excited i'm really really happy to see where this progress is going overall and i couldn't do it without the help of my partner my uh what's it called my partner in crime i'm gonna say it. i feel like we're basically just in a, in a marriage at this point you know i'll say it i don't care <laughs> we basically are we literally know each other i feel like more than like any other person so with that being said chris Avango, the tv nerd where can the people find you on facebook and instagram yeah i definitely can't can't argue with that, although I've never quite thought about it like that. Some more food for thought of the evening. But uh, yeah, guys, you know, we love you. We love that you're here. Thank you so much for supporting this show. And if you want to follow me and keep up to date with the few things I do outside of hanging out with Dom, you can do that at Christian Ivanko. Ivanko spelled E-V-A-N-K-O. I make music. I have another podcast called Talking with Andrew and Chris, which is a show about life, music and everything in between. Hope to see you there, guys. I love creating and I love hanging out with you guys. So, yeah, Dom, what about yourself? Where can they uh, hang out with you uh, when we're off of the podcast, you know, in our downtime? Well, they can find me posting the newest trailer of Zola that was just released today. I cannot wait to watch that movie. Oh, man, A24 coming back with a vengeance later this year on my Facebook and Instagram at Movie Nerd Reviews, where, again, I kind of just post pictures of my haircut and pictures of people who I hang out with, and I occasionally react and do funny reactions to things on Facebook. Overall, I've got a, I, I, I have a, I, I just came up with a, with an idea for a, for a meme that I might do on my Facebook page later on, but my true passion and the true focus of my efforts on social media go into the Facebook and Instagram pages for this podcast right here, which you can follow if you type in at Talkin TV or at Talkin TV Podcast in the Facebook and Instagram bars. Click the follow on both of those pages and be doing us a tremendous favor. We're very close to 500 followers on Instagram and it'd be really nice if you guys could boost us up to 1,000 before the end of the year. That would be pretty cool. So with that being said, that was our episode on Godzilla vs. Kong. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Once again, do all that stuff that we just told you to do. 12 seasons to the short film and as always, watch more fucking movies. We'll see you guys next time. Peace.